This is The Ignition Show. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to or welcome back to our podcast. My name is Chris Jansen, host of The Ignition Show, where our mission is to bring you actionable insights and inspirational examples of how to tap deeper into your potential and ignite the flame within you to truly live a remarkable life on your terms. If you ever think you're going through adversity and tough times and nobody really understands you and how hard it is for you, then you're about to have your perspective challenged with today's guest. In the early hours of Christmas Eve 2007, British Royal Marines Commando Mark Ormrod was out on routine foot patrol in the Helmand province of Afghanistan when he stepped on and triggered an improvised explosive device. Thanks to the swift action of the men around him and the intervention of the medical emergency response team, he was airlifted via helicopter to an emergency field hospital in a desperate attempt to try to save his life. An innovative and dangerous procedure carried out aboard a Chinook helicopter en route to the hospital did save his life, and he woke up three days later in a hospital in the UK with both legs amputated above the knee and his right arm amputated above the elbow. He was the first UK triple amputee to survive the Afghanistan conflict. During his recovery, the doctors told him that he'd never walk again and that he should prepare himself for the rest of his life in a wheelchair. Now, it would have been understandable for Mark to bitterly withdraw in a state of anger and depression and to resign himself to living life on the sidelines. It would have been easy for him to cash in his disability pension and whittle the days away, forever regretting the decision to join the Marines and deploy to Afghanistan. But he didn't do that. To the contrary, he did the opposite. He's used his setback as a springboard for growth and reinvention. Mark Armrod turned his personal tragedy into an ongoing story of personal success, and he's now committed to helping others who may have suffered setbacks or feel they're not yet achieving their maximum potential to take charge of their lives, to unleash their personal power, and to live a life truly with no limits. Enjoy the conversation. On today's show, we're speaking with Mark Ormrod. Mark was on routine patrol serving in Afghanistan when in one heart-stopping moment, Mark's life was brutally shattered when a landmine tore off both his legs and his right arm. The catastrophic injuries took his limbs, but he refused to let it take his life. Mark chose to use his setback as a springboard for growth and reinvention. Today, Mark is an internationally acclaimed motivational speaker, peak performance coach, and the author of the award-winning autobiography, Man Down. He's a source of daily inspiration for the thousands of people who follow him on social media. He has three amazing children, a beautiful wife, and an insatiable lust for life. His sense of humor is only equaled by his sense of wonder, love of learning, and love for life. He's a relentless charitable fundraiser and a daredevil who's performed stunts that many able-bodied athletes would find daunting. Mark, it's a great honor to spend time with you today. Welcome to the Ignition Show. Thank you for inviting me on. Yeah, it's great. I mean, you know, you and I were just discussing that uh, we uh, we met for the first time maybe six or seven years ago. And since then, I've been following you on social media. It's always great to see you show up in my feeds. And what I notice is that what clearly emerges as you kind of share your life and document what you've been going through is really big themes of your love of family or your sense of humor, for sure, your, your passion for life, life and helping others. Have you always been an optimistic go-getter? What, what were you like growing up? Uh, yeah, no, I don't think I'm too dissimilar now um, to the way I was growing up. I think I've kind of elevated it a level uh, over the last five, six, seven years, maybe. But I've, I've always kind of been this way, kind of goal orientated, you know, and I kind of know what I want, set my goals, and then just just go after it and do whatever it takes. Really, obviously. Ethically, morally, um, you know, sticking to the rules, 
but just this just a relentless drive to I guess just prove to myself that I'm capable of of doing what I set out to do. Mm. Was that instilled in you kind of early on? Was that influence from parents or other mentors in your life? Um, I don't think directly. You know, not not in the beginning. So, you know, I was I was born in the eighties, raised in the nineties, and when I was growing up, I was a big like action movie hero fan you know i used to watch all those arnold schwarzenegger films and jean-claude van damme and you know like obsessively like time until the vhs cassette wore out back when vhs cassettes were a thing and um i kind of always wanted to be like those people and that's what they they seem to me to be you know Mm. these guys that could do anything achieve anything they were strong they were you know gentlemen um you know just what what my vision i think back then of of an achiever and an alpha male was i guess and i kind of strived as a as a young man as a young boy to to be like them you know and that's what kind of led me into to my military service but then when i got in the military it kind of you you, i think you can you understand what it is you're actually capable of achieving Mm. because you get pushed so far and then you kind of embody it and it just it just becomes a part of who you are yeah yeah. And, um, you know, from your military experience and all the work that you've been doing now, one thing I'd love to get into is, uh, is understanding you know, your view on what we what we humans are really capable of and how we underestimate our, our true potential. And maybe to put that into part of context, I'd love it if you could just share, so for people who aren't familiar with your, you and your story, share, um, share your story. What, what happened when you were in service in Afghanistan? So I'll quickly, I'll rewind quickly and just give a, a whistle-stop tour of, uh, of how I got to Afghanistan. Uh, but I basically, coming towards the end of my, my school career, my compulsory education, I realized that once I took my exams, I needed to either go on to further education or to go out into the big bad world and start a career. So after a lot of research and a lot of soul-searching and you know, speaking to various different people, uh, I decided that I wanted a career in the military. And specifically, I wanted a career in the Royal Marines because after all the research that I did and, and the people that I've spoken to, these guys, to me, were like the ultimate all-round, flexible, go-anywhere-do-anything soldier, which is, which is what I wanted to be. I wanted to be the very best version of myself that I could be. So I signed up at 16, joined up at 17, uh, finished my training at 18. I actually went to Iraq in 2003 when I was 19. Uh, came back and had a, a daughter. My daughter was born. And then I decided to leave. Uh, I thought, you know, I'm going to do my, my minimum five years. I've already out my Green Beret. I've already been to war. You know, I've done a lot in the first couple of years of my career. I can sign off happy. That I've ticked a lot of boxes and then go out and try and do something different. So I did that, I signed off. Uh, unfortunately, you know, things didn't go well with me and my daughter's mother, so we separated. I then found myself in a in limbo effectively, uh, not really knowing what I wanted to do, you know, where I was gonna go or any of that kind of stuff. And ended up retraining as a bodyguard out in South Africa. I spent six weeks out there training. Um, with a the hope of coming home 
and working in the coach protection industry. Came home for whatever reason, just couldn't get my foot in the door, couldn't get that career to take off. And after a little bit of a bad spell as a civilian, I rejoined the Royal Marines early in 2007. Now, when I rejoined, uh, Afghanistan was becoming a big thing. And I went to a unit down in Taunton, Somerset, called 40 Commando, who were next on the rotation to deploy. So I joined the unit, did some training, and on the 7th of September 2007, deployed for a six-month tour. Halfway through that tour, uh, on Christmas Eve 2007, I was out on just another routine foot patrol you know it's not something new we've been doing it pretty much every day for the last three months so we know what we were doing we were comfortable uh secure we we didn't really have anything to worry about on this particular patrol so we went out we were just about to finish up and come back into camp and the, the section of men that i was working with we were tasked with giving another group of people um what we call overwatch which is like a form of protection. So we were in a, you know, quite advantageous position so we could defend them. They could get back into our camp safely. They could look after us. We can get back in safely and then we close things down. Now, as my section were all taking up defensive positions, I was second in command of the section at the time. So I, I was kind of stood back for a little bit observing and doing some checks. And then I went to take up my fire position when I was happy that we were we were safe and we were we were secure. And as I went to get down onto my stomach, uh, as my right knee hit the floor, I knelt on and detonated an improvised explosive device, mm. which, as you said earlier, eventually resulted in me losing both of my legs above the knee and my right arm above the elbow. Wow. And in your book, uh, you tell about the gut-wrenching moment when that happened and your first reaction. And what surprised me is that you described that was the, the phrase you used, it was mega weird, which isn't what normally uh -huh. I would think people would, would think about when they've suddenly you know, stepped on a, a landmine and their bodies ripped apart. Why mega weird? What made it mega weird for you? I tell you what it is, I've learned a better word since then, and the more appropriate word I think is surreal. Mm. You know, it's it's very hard to explain. So you imagine I've I've stood on this device, it's detonated. Now initially, because of the terrain that we're working in, uh, it's very sandy, very dusty. This huge dust cloud gets created, so temporarily you're blinded and you, you can't see what's happening. Now, my instinct initially was that we had been attacked. You know, so my adrenaline had spiked and I was ready to get into a firefight uh, with the enemy and try and get out alive and get all, all the lads out alive. So when this dust cloud settled and I looked down to, you know, where my legs should have been and saw that they were completely missing, that's when it got mega weird because I had been prepared to get into a big firefight with, with an enemy. And then when I could see what was happening and I could make sense of it, I realized that actually there wasn't an enemy. I had just stood on 
an improvised explosive device. And it does, it does feel very surreal. Mm. You know, your body is an incredible machine, the way it copes and adapts in that kind of situation. And people would think that I'd be in immense pain and it would be really, really painful. But actually, it was just very uncomfortable. Mm. You know, it was like... You must have been in full I'm shock, like your body's just in shock. And um, yeah, it's your body, it takes a while for your body or your mind to make sense of it all. Yeah, so you look at it, this is what I mean. You look at it and your, your, your brain can't process what it's looking at. Mm. And then you add to the fact that it's not painful. And then it's really difficult to try and understand what it is you're looking at. And it feels like you're dreaming. Mm. You know, you're looking at these horrific injuries. You're looking at blood, fluid, plasma, whatever it is, just, just pouring out of your body, but it doesn't hurt. So mm. you're trying to... You, you, sat there thinking what's happening this should be painful is this happening is this real am i dreaming what's going on um yeah but your your body is just amazing the way that it has these natural coping mechanisms to deal with it and um and that's what happens you know and i guess the whole surreal feeling is is another way that your body has or my body had we're dealing with it now when it when i realized what had gone on you know, and it only took a couple of seconds. Everything outside you is like in slow motion, but everything inside you is like 10 times speed. So all your thoughts and, and things are going at 100 mile an hour, but everything around you in the physical world is in slow motion. Yep. And when I, when I kind of went, right, okay, I know what's happening now. Now we need to deal with this. That's when... Um, that's when all the, all the training kicks in, not just for me, but for all the guys around me, uh, which is the reason that I got out of there alive. And that's the other thing that really struck me in your book was not only in that moment, but as you describe you know, being taken up in the Chinook helicopter and people doing some pretty um, amazing quick thinking and work on you to save your life and get you back to hospital. You ended up back in the hospital in, U in the UK. And what's really struck me was, I guess, in, and I don't know the time frame, but days or weeks as you were there and in, 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 you know, being, being attended to and, and as you started through recovery, I really got the sense that you were very matter of fact about the situation. I'm sure there must have been some emotional turmoil or challenges, but you really came at it as a, okay, let's, here's where we are. Let's deal with this and let's move forward. Is that, is it as straight, was it as straightforward as that? And how did you, on reflection, what do you think about your own mindset at that time? Was that, did it strike you that that was unexpected or was that just how you were trained? Do you know, I think it's a, it's a, it's a bunch of things all mixed in. So first of all, you're very heavily sedated. So when you wake up, you don't really care what's going on. Everything's fun because you've got so much morphine running through your body. Mm. It doesn't matter what's going on. You're just happy like all the time. And um, I think the way that the medical staff gradually reduced my medication and brought me out of that coma was absolutely perfect. I don't know if they planned it that way or if it was just luck, but each day as they, they reduced it bit by bit and those effects wore off and I wasn't just deliriously happy all the time, I was understanding what was happening. It was in a way that I could accept it bit by bit and understand what was going on which is when I was like, okay, it, it gave me that time, you know, to be like, okay, this has happened. What are we going to do about it? Because, you know, the fact is, these are not going to grow back. You know, this is the hand that I've been dealt. There's not much point in sitting around crying about it. 
So let's get fit, let's get fit, let's get healthy, and let's get back to living. Mm. And, you know, I owe so much credit to the medical staff and my friends and family and everyone that was around me who just focused on recovery, not not the situation, but the future, mm. you know, rather than dwelling on, oh, woe is me, this is so tragic. Everyone around just focused on, okay, you know, this has happened. This is what we're going to do. Let's just take it step by step. Wow. It is, it is remarkable. I, I agree with you that our bodies are, are quite machines and our, and our minds can be too. Where do you draw, I, I don't know what you might describe it as, but where do you draw your courage, your hope, your optimism from? Do you have things that have helped you or have helped, did help you at that time? Yeah, and, and it was definitely from other people. So I think maybe three weeks post-injury when I was in hospital and things were starting to get a little bit difficult. I, I don't know, I can't remember if it was... That, so a doctor came to visit me around this time and, and told me that I'd never be able to use prosthetic legs and that they were too difficult. And I, I can't remember if it was before that or after that, but I remember lying in my hospital bed and thinking okay i've got these injuries but i'm still a royal marine and there's a lot of pride attached to that and i remember thinking back and at the time i think the royal marines were about 347 years old we were formed in 1664 and i remember thinking i don't know of any royal marine in all that history that has ever let the side down i've never seen a documented case or anyone's ever told me about a specific royal marine who, when things got tough, just went, okay, I'll quit, guys. I can't do this. I'm out. And I remember lying in my hospital bed thinking, I'm not going to be that guy mm. because I've got all these eyes on me now from the very highest levels, from the captain general down to the new recruit to, you know, media in the UK because I was the first triple amputee. And I thought, I'm not going to be the one who lets this elite team of men with this prestigious history down. Mm. And that was a huge motivator for me to get out of hospital as quick as I could. And that's why I think I only stayed in there for six weeks. And uh, I healed up. I ended up healing up too fast. And I had to have these look kind of mini operations where they have to um, kind of take muscle or, or flesh or something off you because it heals too quickly. And when your body's healing up, it's kind of pushing itself up the body. It's, it's bizarre. I've never, heard um, that. I've never heard that before. A healing too fast. That's That's fascinating. Yeah, like, so I've got a big scar on my left hand where shrapnel tore my palm open. And it healed so quickly that all the inside of my hand was was just getting pushed out of the scar. It's called, it's called overgranulation. Yeah, yeah. And they have to come and lance it off because I was healing too quick. Hmm. Um, and I think that had a lot to do with my mind as well because yes. I was just like, right, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. And thinking about those guys and that history and not letting the, the team down, that just pushed me to get out of there so quick to get to rehab. Mm. You know, and after that, and even to today, right now, again, it still comes from other people. You know, I read a lot of books, listen to a lot of podcasts. You know, there's a lot of cool stories out there about people overcoming the odds and overcoming adversity, right back from, you know, Man's Search for Meaning, Victor Frankl. Yes through to, again, those guys I grew up idolizing, like Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sylvester Sloan. If you read their autobiographies, you know, they're not just great people because 
you know, they made these movies that I used to love watching, but if you actually listen to what it took them to actually get to where they are, the stories are phenomenal. Yeah. What they had to go through and they never ever gave up. They never quit. They knew what they wanted and they just kept persisting and persisting and persisting until it happened. Yeah. I just finished reading the book. Uh, I don't know if you've, you've had a chance to read it from David Goggins. That I, Can't hurt me. No, I haven't yet. No, it's on my list though. Yeah. You'd love it. You'd love it. And you can relate to a lot of it for sure. Yeah. You know, it's uh, and coming back to, I guess where what we mentioned earlier in this conversation is, um, you know, the, the capacity that we humans have to deal with adversity, you know, what we are truly capable of. And even in a, even in maybe a straightforward life, the potential that we have to live fully or, or achieve amazing things and really push ourselves way beyond what we think we're capable of. Even in a normal life, it's phenomenal. But when you have someone or, you know, you go through some, some adversity like you've been through, it just continues to amaze me. And, and I guess I'd love to hear your perspective of what you really think about human potential and our capacity to bounce back and resiliency. What I guess maybe the question I really want to ask is having had that experience, what, and especially being in military uh, and serving in war, which is one of extreme situations anyone can be in, on, in, in life. What do you think that the regular like civilians like us, what do we really fail to grasp or what do we grossly underestimate? about our own individual potential. All right. So I don't want to go down a rabbit hole with this too much, but I think there's so much negativity in our environment that subconsciously we're kind of programmed to not want to reach our potential. Mm-hmm. You know, you just flip the news on every day and it's just, it's just filled with negativity. Yeah. You know, and people just, I think you automatically just default to this, oh, I can't do that. Oh, that, that person's lucky. That person's gifted. They were born with, you know, better genetics than me. But the reality is, and this is what I found out going through training for the Royal Marines. I, I was not, and I'm not the fittest person on the planet, but I would always push myself and push myself and push myself in my mind to never, ever stop. And then I'd achieve these things that people that were physically fitter and more able than me mm. couldn't achieve because their minds weren't as strong. And it, it just made me think from an early age, I was like, this is what it's 90% of it is, is in your head. Totally. You know, you've got, there's, a, there's a quote, and I'm going to completely butcher it, but it's something like, you know, when you think you're ready to quit, your, your body's only like 50% there. There's still yeah. another 50% to go. When, when your mind's telling you you want to drop and you can't go any further, you're only 50% on the way to failing. And I've carried that with me for years. Every time I've done something physical and I'm tired and I'm sore and I want to drop, that's when I know I'm only halfway and I can still go another 50%. Yeah, I, 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 I totally agree with that, 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 that philosophy. And you're, you're making me have a little bit of a humorous flashback to, uh, I guess it was 2014, I had a chance with some mates. Uh, I was living in the UK at the time, and we we flew down to Cape Town, South Africa, to run uh, the Two Oceans Ultra Marathon. It's a thirty-five okay. kilometer, f- sorry, fifty-six kilometer, thirty-five mile race around Cape Town. And um, we were four reasonably fit guys. I had done an Ironman triathlon a couple of years earlier and gone through a training program and felt pretty good going into this thing, even though I'd never run that distance before. It was going to be a huge challenge, and I knew we were going to have to walk some of it. So we ran the first, um, we ran the first half 
marathon distance. And then we, our strategy was we're going to run 10 minutes and walk a minute for the virtually for the rest of it. That was a great strategy. It worked, worked great. So we finished this race. We're going down the, the finishing chute, the final 200 meters. There's four, four guys. We're all like in our late 30s, early 40s. And just as we're getting up to the finish line, we catch, we catch in front of us. This guy who must have been 70 years old had this crazy running gait, like he was all awkward and twisted in his running, but we <laughs> caught him at the finish line and we ran it like, you know, just under seven hours. And uh, it just, I just remember laughing thinking, wow, really, you know, all shapes and sizes, we can do, we can do so much more. And I love your, your specific me metric of 50%. Yeah. It's, it's remarkable, isn't it? It is. Um, the thing is, I think, I, I think you have to have gone through it to to truly understand it. Like you've had to have pushed yourself physically past that point and and got that mindset to understand. Yeah. I mean, you can you can read it and you can say it, but I think until you've lived it, you and experienced it, you can't really understand that concept because it is it is phenomenal like mm. what what you came with and you, you you mentioned david goggins just now you know you listen to what he says about when he was running that 100 mile race in 24 hours and he's putting masking tape on his feet and his shin splints and just putting masking tape and duct tape on his legs and yeah. just keep to keep going to keep going to keep going yeah you know and it was his mind that got him through it when you share your story with people you know you you speak in front of a lot of groups a lot of business groups um I suppose beyond the beyond the the impact you have from your personal journey you've been on, what do people tend to come up to you afterwards and, and share? What what do you tend to what is your story and this whole idea of pushing yourself and resiliency? What do people tend to say and how it hits them, strikes them? What are some of the insights you've gained from listening to everyday people? Do you get more in touch with what really matters or their own resiliency to deal with challenges? I think first of all, you know, something that comes up all the time is that it helps them to put things in perspective. Mm. So, you know, a lot of us, you know, we're very lucky we live in, in this world where we can just jump on a phone and find out any information that we need in a split second, which you couldn't do 25, 30 years ago. And um, little things now like having poor Wi-Fi, <laughs> some people nowadays think that's adversity. Yeah. You know, they get upset and angry. You know, oh, I've got no Wi-Fi. My life's rubbish. And then you stand there for an hour and you show them pictures, you know, an hour and a half after you've been blown up by a landmine and doctors, you know, chopping your legs off in a, in a tent in the middle of the desert. And then you talk about the recovery journey. And, they, you know, by the time that hour's over, they're like, okay, it's not such a big deal not having Wi-Fi. Mm. Actually, you know, I was being a bit silly. And it, it helps them put things in perspective. Yes. But then, but, you know, some people say it also helps them open their mind and change their mindset a little bit about what they are actually capable of achieving. And I think a lot of people I've spoken to have said what I mentioned earlier, is that we just, I think subconsciously, we default to, I can't do this, I can't do that, because there's too much of that around, you know, with social media and mainstream media. And I always try and encourage people, I say, look, take these things and use them to your advantage. You know, if you if you have to be on social media all the time, just customize your timelines so you don't see any of that rubbish. Mm. You know, filter out the negative stuff on Facebook, on Twitter, follow the positivity. So that every time you pick your phone up, it's like a, 
I guess, a mobile vision board, if you like. Mm. And uh, you see the things you want to see and you read the things you want to read rather than having all the bad stuff forced in front of you. You know, it's, it just helps every day with your mindset. How has this, the all the experiences you've been through, how has that shaped your personal values and what you, you your perspective on what really matters? It's, it's made me a lot more grateful, for sure. Um, you know, I, I was grateful before, but then I think I fell into that category of, oh, the Wi-Fi is not great. I hate my life. Whereas now I'm just I'm just grateful for all the little things. Um, I, I know it sounds really corny, but just breathing every day because, you know, we, we didn't really touch on it. But when I got onto the back of that Chinook helicopter, I, I was dead. They classed me as dead, put me in a corner and left me while they started working on someone else. It was only through pure luck that they decided to have another go at, at saving me and managed to bring me back. So I've, I've died once. I know how quick it can happen and how quick everything can change. So I'm just grateful for everything, really. Mm. Um, and, I, and I look at life through a different lens now. But I also, you know, I take opportunity a lot more now because, I, again, I know how quickly things can change. And rather than wasting too much time pondering on, you know, should I take the family on holiday at Disneyland? Oh, can we afford it? You know, be, being sensible, obviously. You know, I'll, I'll look at it differently now and go, yeah, that's an experience. You know, we want that experience because this is what life is about. It's about experiences. Mm. So I just I just look at things a lot different now. And I'm... I'm I'm not going to get too nerdy about it, but I just I just love learning about what your body's capable of. You know, mm. so I've got two legs missing now, my right arm missing, and yet there's still so much I can do. Mm. Yeah, it's you know I, I love uh, you know when I look back on your social media feeds because you're you're very active on there, which is great. And and one, I guess again again the thing that if I really step back and kind of look at what I've seen from you over the years is, you know, the message that I get is kind of like, you're, you're a regular guy living life. You know, you, you live life. You, I see you in the kitchen making food. I see you vacuuming your house, doing all the chores around the house. You, you work, you work out, you, you travel, you're, you're, being a, you're playing with your kids, having fun. You're, you're, you've got an awesome sense of humor. Your husband, you know, we, you're, on, the, on the outside, you're, 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 you're a guy living your life. And I guess I'm curious to understand from you, and maybe there's some insights for our listeners as well. When you kind of accepted your reality after the accident, what did you maybe initially fear was going to be lost in your life? Things that you weren't able to do or experience or just never have that actually turned out to be very doable and all the things that you thought you might have lost that you can have. What were some of those things that you initially feared, but actually turned out just fine? First of all, was training because that's a huge part of my life um physically working out you know i just yeah lifting weights you know i was into i used to compete as a muay thai kickboxer full contact kickboxer and, and a boxer before i was injured so i thought that martial arts was out of my life i thought lifting weights was out of my life i thought you know any any sort of training i just i remember being in hospital longing for that feeling of my lungs burning and my heart pumping and sweat pouring down my back because I thought I'd never get it again. I thought I'd be stuck in a wheelchair, just static for the rest of my life. And I just really, that, that was really hard for me to accept in the beginning. And then I actually realized actually none of it's off the, off the cards for me now. You know, I can hand cycle, I can use a rower, I can swim, I can run, I still lift weights. 
I've pivoted slightly, so I, I now train in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I'm a, I'm a blue belt in that, so I can still do the martial arts. So none of that stuff that I thought was going to be taken away from me has been taken away. You know, and mm. not just, you know, the things for myself, but, you know, I'm a father now. I've got three children now. I only had one when I was injured. Just being able to do that and to, to be a dad and, you know, interact with my kids. It's, it's different. It's very different. Like I'll go out after this. I'm, I haven't got my legs on right now. I'll go walk out on my bum, walk out the front garden where the sun's out. You know, we were playing, uh, we just made up a game the other day where we just drew some circles on the floor with some chalk and we threw stones in them. Then we started playing a game called pitch and toss with some five pences where we were throwing them towards the curb and never got closest wins. <laughs> so you just, you just adapt everything. You know, I can't, some of the things that, I wish I could do, you know, like, you know, when you're a kid, and your dad's got you in the swimming pool and he throws you up in the air and you go splashing in the water. You know, there's, there's a couple of things like that I can't do. I'd love to be able to go running through the forest and puddle jumping and stuff like that. But we just substitute it and mm. we adapt it, you know, for different things. And you mentioned you do run. You you ran uh, a handful of years ago now. You you ran across America. Not only just going out for yeah. a jog in the woods, you've run across the, the entire country in the in the Forest Gumpathon. Uh, what was that experience like, and what did that do for you? Again, maybe emotionally, mentally, spiritually. What was that like to have that freedom and that and um, yeah, to to take on that challenge and and make it happen? That that was one of the best trips of my life. I'd love to have another go at doing that. Um, maybe not running, maybe doing some other sort of discipline, but it was such an eye-opener to just travel straight from New York, straight across the middle to LA and just see all the different parts of America, you know, but in terms of running it, you know, I was part of a team, so I didn't do it all on my own. Um, running for me, because I don't have any knees, probably takes anywhere between 600 and 700% more energy than it does for an able-bodied person. Wow. So physically, I was at that stage in my life where I was just getting to grips with being a full-time prosthetic user and being able to walk every day without a wheelchair, which was tiring enough. And then I got to go and throw on some running blades and try and run everywhere, which is, you know, twice as hard as, as walking. So that, again, it opened my mindset, you know, and helped me realize what I could do. Just 63 days every day getting up and running, that kind of energy expenditure was was a killer but um you just you just do you develop habits and routines you take one day at a time you break it down and you just talk to yourself and say, you know we're a day closer we're a mile closer you know whatever it is for you we, we figure it out and it's a, again it's just a great way to develop your mindset i think what are some of your daily routines that keep your mindset on the straight and narrow and strong so I, I get up every day at half past five. Um, I'll train. You know, I'll come down to my garage. I've got a, a hand bike down there on a terrible trainer. Or when the gyms are open, I'll go straight down to the gym. Then I'll meditate. It depends what my day looks like. Um, but minimum of 10 minutes, probably maximum of 20, just to get my head straight. And then generally, um, I'll have my day planned out the night before. So then I just go into it. Um, so it's efficient. I'm a bit of a nerd with all this stuff. Get you know efficiency. Mm -hmm. That's really become a thing for me since being disabled and only having one arm. 
you know, trying to make everything easy and efficient and using the, the tools and the resources around me to their maximum potential just to make my life a bit easier. I've heard you say, and you know, you're certainly a living example of it, that um, it's not the, the difficult situations that define us. It's how we overcome them that defines us. And it's all about the cho choice of how to respond. And you're certainly the, you are a shining example of that. What do you think is, uh, again, for someone listening to this who's maybe going through a challenge, what might be your couple of insider tips on choosing a different path being more resilient, really coming out of a it can be a very, very dark situation, very challenging situations, whether that's financial loss, job loss, relationship breakup, or something more serious, a serious accident, nearly a life loss. What would your bits of wisdom be for someone who's going through that and, and what are some things that they can draw from? Okay, I'm going to steal a quote from a mutual friend of ours, uh, Mr. Tony Robbins. Yes. See it as it is but not worse than it is. So I think, you know, if we rewind back to when I was in hospital, I could have looked at loss of three limbs and just really focused on that and, and in my head made the whole situation seem worse than it actually is. When in reality, yes, I had lost the three limbs. That wasn't going to change, but I had an incredible team around me. I had some prosthetics that I was going to get when I was able. Um, I was going to be able to regain my independence again and, and look at all the, the positives that we're going to come out of the situation, you know, so that's probably the first thing I do sit down and just take a breath and look at the situation as it is not worse than it is. Then figure out not, not what's bad about it, but what's good about it. And that's, that's probably the hardest part, you know, is trying to sit there and go, okay, you've lost your legs and the arm. Nothing's good about it. Well, actually there, there are some good, good things about it. Um, but it takes a while to find them and it takes a bit of a mindset shift to, to find them. But for me, it's made me a stronger person. It's made me, uh, I think a more of a caring person. I think about other people a little bit more than, than I do myself. Most of the time it's made me feel more grateful. It's made me focus more. I want to achieve more. So while initially, you know, I was, I was angry and, didn't think of any of that stuff over time by just training myself to keep looking for the good things in my situation. I found them and that's brought me to, to where I am now as well as setting goals. You know, that is the, the single biggest factor I think in anyone's life, you know, it makes a difference between success and failure is, is setting those goals because if you've got nothing positive to aim for every day, when you get out of bed, that's when things start going south, I think. Mm. What um, you mentioned about training your mindset there, you know, training, training your mindset to do what, what, what do you do to train your mindset? I read, like I said earlier, you know, I read other people's stories and I see what us as human beings are capable of. And I don't honestly believe, you know, we're all born unless you're born with a severe disability. We're all born the same if we're born healthy. So we've all, pretty much we're on a pretty much even level playing field so i think if one person can achieve something so can someone else if they mm. apply the same mindset and um they attack it physically the same way mm. so i just think you know like i said earlier the, the whole arnold schwarzenegger sylvester stallone david goggins all these people if i wanted 
you know, if I had both my legs and my arm and I wanted to go down the route that they've gone down, why couldn't I? They did it, so why couldn't I do it? Yeah. You know, we, we were all, we've all been born healthy. We just got to figure out, you know, I just copy what they did effectively to achieve what they achieved. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. I agree with that as well. If, if one can do it, I can do it. And there's, there is a way. And as they say, success leaves clues and you've got to figure right. out what they've done and what works for you. But, um, in combination with not, not quitting and bouncing back and with bouncing back, I don't know if you've ever, ever really if you've ever thought about this way, but if you could deconstruct what, it, what is resiliency and how does someone develop their own resiliency to bounce back from setbacks? I don't know. What, what's your perspective on that? Do you see there's like, are there a couple of core ingredients that people can really sink their teeth into to remind themselves of when they are facing a setback? Yeah, it's difficult, isn't it? Because the people, everyone's different and everyone's environment's different and everyone's influences are different. And um, I think environment has a lot to do with it. You know, from an early age, the people that you're around, the the content you consume, the books you read, that kind of stuff, I think it has a big effect on, on people's resilience. I, I just always, me personally, it... it that's exactly what it was growing up, watching those movies, seeing those people who, you know, when you are a young boy, you think, Oh, wow, these guys can do anything. I want to be just like them. And then you develop that mindset that if something bad happens, I'll be all right. Cause I'm an action movie hero mm. and you know, I can do what they can do. So I think, the, I think the environment's got a lot to do with it, but the good news is you can shape your own environment. You know, you may have been brought up in a, in a, negative-ish environment but as you get older you can develop that environment yourself you can choose the books you read you can choose the films you watch you can choose the path that you take and that all that will help to build your resilience yeah i, I love that and uh it makes me think also my wife and i've had many conversations you know when we on a on a quiet friday night or saturday night when we just want to kind of relax and you know entertain ourselves a little bit you look at all the tv shows that are out there and it's uh it goes to your point about, you know, how you feed your mind and, and what you do consume and the environment and the messages that you're consuming. And, and it's remarkable how many top popular TV shows or highly rated shows, whatever it gets chatted about in social media, how much of them are so, um, so negative, so negative or fear-based yeah. or backstabbing, you know, the, dra the drama, that's the word I'm looking for. And we were watching one show on Netflix. We got into it, we kind of, we, we enjoyed it. But then after a while, we literally recognized that we were getting a little bitey at each other and uh, not being the best to each other every time after we watched that show. And it's like, these are subtle subtleties uh, of things that influence our perspective or how we show right. up, our emotional yeah. state that, that we're, so many people are blind to. So we, we literally just stop watching the show. We like watching documentaries and other things that are a little bit more uplifting. But um, I think that's another thing that where people really, especially in our modern world, with social media, with the news, with um, access to binge watching, if we don't really get conscious on what we're feeding our mind every day, and even more so now with you know the global pandemic that everyone's going through, the news is nothing but fear. You got to get the facts, but you got to stay away from the drama. Um, yeah, it's, yeah, it can be very, it can be very subtle, a subtle death to your mind if you're not really careful. I know, and, and you know, I'm not going to go down a rabbit hole with this either. But I'm, I have a huge dislike for 
90% of reality TV and stuff like, you know, like the Kardashians and stuff like that, whatever it is they've got on. I don't watch any of it, but from what I see popping up on social media, you know, the kids now growing up, they look up to these people that are famous for not really doing anything, especially doing anything positive. Mm. You know, it's famous YouTubers who are, you know, there's a lot of cool people out there, but it seems to be the ones that when I speak to my daughter, like she watches and consumes, they're not really people that I'd want them to look up to, you know? Yeah. And you can try and influence their environment a little bit and get them to watch, you know, there's all these, these women out there that have got gold medals in the Olympics and have achieved massive success in business and philanthropy, you know, your JK Rowlands and those kind of people. Yet for some reason, people want to watch the Kardashians instead of a, an inspirational woman like that. And it drives me nuts. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no doubt. As a dad, as a dad, what have you found? Or yeah, you know, just a sample of one here. And I, I'm not uh, suggesting you're speaking on behalf of all dads or all parents, but as a parent, what has been some of your ways to positively influence your kids' mindset or perspective on the world? I think a lot of it is just your actions. You know, I, I could sit there all day and tell them things. And they could listen, but they may not necessarily take it all in. So, but when they see you do, so they see me get up every day at half past five. They see me walk on my bum down the stairs into the garage and get on my bike. They see me meditate. They see me go out Monday to Friday, sometimes Monday to Sunday working. They know I'm traveling all over the country and all over the world working, 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 you know, and, and earning and looking after my family the best I can. And I do it with three limbs missing. You know, so they, they see it happening. I think that's the, only, the best way that I can try to positively influence them is, is through my actions. Yeah. I often say that when I'm doing some development work with leaders and organizations. I often say, I look them straight in the eye and say, as a leader, you are always being watched. Your people yeah. and your yeah. team, consciously, subconsciously, they're always looking at you to learn what's the right way to do it, the wrong way to do it, if they're okay, if they're not. And it goes exactly the same as a parent that you are always being watched. And I think your point there about being a, a role model, living, living your, living your values or, you know, living your word is infinitely more powerful and important than, uh, than what you try to say. And if you catch yourself, you know, using the old adage of do as I say, not as I do, then, then quite honestly, yeah. I think you're, you're failing your, you're failing your kids. Yeah, no, I agree. And you mentioned a few moments ago as well about the inspirational examples that are out there. Uh, people have won medals or, you know, competed at a high level. And, and we can certainly put you in that camp as well. You know, at the Invictus Games uh, for Wounded Warriors, you, uh, you competed in four sports. You won four medals. And I know the, uh, the Games has a special place in your heart. Now, uh, what I love about the, the Invictus Games is just, you know, the essence of it, the, in, the, in the poem of Invictus from William Ernest Henley. And that poem finishes with the, with the, um, with the lines. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. What does that poem or those words, what does that mean to you now, Mark? You know, it's, you know, I've heard another quote and it kind of says the same thing as at the end of that, that poem. It's, you know, you can't always control your circumstances or your situation, but you can always control how you feel about it and how you deal with it. 
you know, being the captain of your, of your fate, the captain of your soul. People can put you in horrendous situations. You can go through some real challenging times in your life and there's nothing you can do about that. But what you can do about it is control the way you react to it and then how you deal with it, you know? Yeah, yeah. And um, maybe we've touched on this a little bit but, um, already, but, you know, with this whole pandemic we're all going through right now, from your perspective, what do people need to keep in perspective? What do people need to keep in mind as they're dealing with whatever levels of change or adversity and, and disruption in their life? What would your words of wisdom be for them? You know, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to touch words, not have known anybody that that's sadly died as, as a result of this. So, you know, when I say this, it, it doesn't, necessarily apply if you've lost a loved one but you know just like i mentioned earlier just try and see what the good thing is about this situation as, as hard as it may be see what i see is communities coming together i see i see the whole world coming together to, to help their neighbor and, and strangers and you know they on a, on personal levels they're developing new habits and routines in their personal life we're all spending more time with our families, what we wouldn't get to spend with them if we're stuck in the rat race, running nine to five, working all the time. So there are some positives to be had out of this. Um, like I said, I, I'm sure there will be people if they've tragically lost loved ones who wouldn't agree, and, and I understand that completely. But for the rest of us, you know, there are some positives in this. And you just got to look hard to try and find them. And at the end of this, you know, we will come out of this stronger. This, this is a big test for a huge proportion of the planet. But I think together, you know, if we keep doing what we're doing, we'll come out of this stronger in the end. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with that. It, is, it brings out, unfortunately it brings out the, the worst in people, but it also brings out the best in people. And I agree that, um, you know, the challenges, the problems, the issues, the, the adversity is always there, but so are, so are the good things. So are the opportunities and the possibilities. And that is an absolute mindset choice. As you said earlier, it's, it's how we choose to respond. And we can choose what we focus on. We can choose what we put our time, attention, and energy towards. And um, I know one of the things that you choose to spend a lot of your time and attention and energy on is is raising money and, and working with charities to help others. You know, you mentioned earlier in this conversation as well that one of the things that got you, you know, in a good mindset and positively moving forward was not dwelling on yourself, dwelling on your problems. You know, I like I like to describe it as a you know, all stories of suffering are stories of the self, meaning you're only focusing on yourself. If you're in a really suffering place, you're focusing on yourself. <clears throat> the fastest way out of that and um, a big, big antidote to even depression is stop focusing on yourself and start focusing and serving others. What is it about your yeah. charity fundraising and the work that you do for others? What does that do for you personally, Mark? You know, it's, uh, it's just so fulfilling. You know, I, I'm I'm so grateful for the support that I had from the very beginning. Like, before I even had chance to get my thoughts together in hospital, there were people in my hospital room from, from certain military organizations that were there to help me with all sorts of things. And it, it really did help. You know, when you're in this chaotic little bubble and you're trying to get your life back together in the first couple of weeks, you don't want to be dealing with paperwork about leaving the military or you know, finances and that kind of stuff. And there were so many people around to help me with that, that 
still to this day do with with everything that I need. And so I just wanted to give a little bit back once I was able to, you know, to help that next guy, to help take that strain off that next person and to say thank you to those charities that helped me. Mm. You know, because I just, I, I just, I don't think you can take from life without giving back. Mm. You know, you've got to give something back somehow, somewhere along. You can't just take, 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 take all the time. You know, you've got to be a giver. So, and that, I mean, you get, it's kind of selfish in a way, you know, that I, I get so much from giving. Do you know what I mean? Yes. It almost, yes. Feels, it almost feels selfish that I'm doing it because it makes me feel good. But, you know, I have had so much help from so many good people that I just have to give back. Well, you're doing an amazing job at that. And, and um, you definitely are a man of service, service to your country, service to your family and just service to your fellow man. So I really honor and respect you. And, and I really enjoyed having you on the show here today. And you know, the messages that you have are, are so timeless and may, may be very timely for the world that we're in right now. Before I ask the final question, Mark, uh, where could people learn more about you or get in touch with you? I'm all over social media. Um, <laughs> all, all my handles, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, they're all at Mark Wormrod. Um, and then there's the website, markwormrod.com. But I'm, I'm pretty much on there every day. If anyone is to drop in and shoot me over a DM or something, then feel free. Awesome. We'll make sure to include the, those links in our show notes for sure. My final question, Mark, for your time on the Ignition Show. What do you hope to ignite in the world? People's potential. You know, it's a, it's a big driver for me, which is one of the reasons why I'm on social media every day. Uh, you know, I'm not saying I'm some sort of guru or whatever, but I just think by living my life every day and, and documenting it, and I've had some really touching messages over the years, but by living every day and, and documenting it, I'm hoping it can help people and help them realize their potential. When they see someone that, you know, yesterday I think I was hoovering my front room floor, running around on my bum with one arm hoovering, you know, even little silly things like that. Maybe someone might see that and be like, damn, I can do that. You know, and I've got both legs of both. I don't, I don't you know, I just, yeah. I haven't figured it all out yet, but I just hope that by living the way that I live and putting it out there that when people see it, it helps them unleash their full potential. Well, I know it certainly does, Mark. And uh, again, thank you for being you and thank you for all the work that you do on behalf of others. You you impact people, I believe, more than you, more than you even know. And I know you've had some amazing feedback and some stories back to you, but you can probably, you know, back to your earlier point, <clears throat> Whatever you think impact you're having, maybe you're only 50% of the way there. So I encourage you to keep going, and the world needs more of you, Mark. So thanks again for your time, and we'll, we'll catch up soon. Thank you, Chris. That was Mark Omrod, Royal Marine, an inspiring example of what we're all capable of. You can find all the links in our show notes. We want you to get the most of the time you've invested listening here. This show is only valuable if you apply what you learn. And most learning, as we know, is generated from reflection. So we'd love to hear from you and your reflections about what you learned or found interesting. Join the community and go to theignitionshow.com slash connect and let us know what struck you. What was it that you heard today that you really needed to hear today? You can leave us an audio message or join our Facebook group and participate in the conversation there. But we'd love to hear your comments or follow-up questions. Also, be sure to check out the after show of this episode. It's a shorter follow-up episode where we, my wife and business partner Sarah and I, talk about what we learned from this interview and how these ideas have shown up in our lives on a more personal level. 
As always, if you like what you hear, please subscribe, rate the show, or leave a review in Apple Podcasts. It helps others find us and helps us get better. We read every single review and comment that comes through Apple Podcasts, Facebook, and our website, and respond to as many people as we can. And lastly, remember, whatever you dream of, whatever you hope for, and secretly wish you had, you're closer than you think you are, you're meant to have it, and you absolutely deserve it. Until next time, I'm Chris Jansen, and this is The Ignition Show.